This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good morning, guys. Thank you very much, Rabbi Grajuar, for the uh, generous introduction. And uh, there's a long-awaited uh, meeting, and I uh, want to wish you a lot of Hatzlacha here in the most important job in the universe, uh, raising generations of loyal Jews. Okay, so I just want to share with you a few brief thoughts. We spend our day in yeshiva, and we really have to ask ourselves, you know, what in the world are we doing here? You know, why are we dedicating so much time to the study of Torah? You know, there's a big world out there. There's a lot to do. The Jewish people right now are in a very dangerous situation, the likes of which we haven't faced probably in 70 years. And yet, young men preparing themselves for life, you would think there would be something more important to do than pouring and studying a tome, studying a text that was written 1,500 years ago and giving the best years of their life just to sit and study the Torah. What exactly are we doing? So I would like to share with you this morning um, a very important perspective regarding what does Torah do for me? What does it do for us? What, What do I get out of it? What do I get out of learning Torah? You know, there's an amazing Gemara. The Gemara tells us there was a man by the name of Rav Sheshes, and every 30 days he would climb up to the top of a ship, and he would talk to himself. He would say, Chadoi nafshoi, Rejoice, my soul. Rejoice, my soul. He would say, L'cha ani karai. You know why I learned Chomish? I learned it from me. L'cha tanoi. You know why I learned Mishnah? I learn it for me. I do it, it's selfish, it's for me. And the Gemara asks, what? He learns selfishly? He learns for himself? Aren't you supposed to learn Torah to uphold the whole world? Don't we believe that the learning of Torah literally upholds the whole world? And the Gemara says a very interesting statement. The Gemara says, Me'ikara Adam lo'imed lanafshay Literally in the beginning, you learn for yourself. So let's try to understand that a little bit. What do I get out of learning Torah? What do I get out of it? Does it do something for me? I want to tell you a very important idea that it's, it's not so well known. You know, if I were to ask you, how many categories of mitzvot are there? What would you say? General categories. Most people say there are two. There's Bein Adam Lamakom. It's between you and God. And there's Bein Adam Lachavero, between you and your friend. So for instance, uh, when you daven, what, do, what would you call that? Bein Adam Lachavero. And when uh, you visit the sick, what do you call that? Bein Adam Lachavero. You invite a guest, Bein Adam Lachavero. When you shake a lul of an esrog, that's Bein Adam Lachavero. Most people would say there are only two categories of mitzvahs. The Vilna Gaon in his commentary on Mishlei, reveals that there's a third category of mitzvah, which is almost virtually unknown. And he gives an example. He says, Tefillah, davening, is bein adam lamakon, between you and God. Gemilus chasadam, acts of kindness, it's between you and your friend. Says the Vilna there's a third category, there's something called Talmud Torah, learning. Learning? If you would have stopped a hundred people on the street and asked them, What's learning? Is it between you and God? Or is it between you and man? 
I would say, a hundred out of a hundred would say, it's between you and God. Vilna Gaon says it's wrong. It's not true. Learning Torah, says Vilna Gaon, is bein adam la'atzmai. It's between you and yourself. What does that mean? What do you mean between you and yourself? And the Vilna Gaon flips it on its head. There are three categories of sin. He says, let's say idolatry. A guy bows down to an idol. What's that? You know, that's between you and God. You're not believing in God properly. What about Ritzicha? You know, somebody murders someone. That's It's very hard to get along with somebody if you kill them. You know, scientists have found, they did studies on this, it's very hard to have a good relationship with somebody that you kill. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. What about Giloy Aras? Let's, let's say lewd behavior. Let's say immorality. What would you call that? Is that Benadam La'atzmai? Benadam La'chaveroi? Benadam Makam? The Vilna Gun says that's between you and yourself. You're corrupting yourself. You're lowering your own identity. Vilna Gaon says the same thing with Talmud Torah. <coughs> Learning Torah is between you and yourself. Let's explain what he means. What are we? We have, uh, we have a body, so that we share in common with an animal. But we have something very special. We have a neshama. What's a neshama? Somehow, it's, it's divinely instilled. God gave us the soul. We believe, so to speak, it's a piece of the divine. Which means, what, is, what could a person accomplish in this world? What could a person be in this world? Who could a person become? It's infinite. It's endless. You know how much ability you have? It's infinite. God gave you a soul. That soul has infinite capacity. So here's the problem, you know? We get up in the morning and we say, it's great to have infinite capacity. I could, I could reach the moon. How do I access that? How do I tap into? How do I bring out the infinite capacity that I have? You ever wonder about it? Most people, they get up in the morning... They gotta pull the yank themselves out of bed, figure out how they're gonna get to school, do their learning, do their studying. But you ever stop and think, you know, I could be something very great. How am I gonna access that infinite ability? What tool is there in this world that could tap into my neshama and bring out infinite ability? The answer is God gave us a tool. It's called the Torah. Learning Torah, it's not between you and God. It's not between you and your fellow man. It's between you and yourself. In other words, if you want to be this, or be this, or be this, the tool is, the key is, how do you unlock your latent ability? That's the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. When you study Torah, you're literally unlocking the infinite capacity that you have. So don't think, you know, I'm rolling out of bed in the morning and I'm coming, what's the name of the school? What? Or HaTorah. So I'm going to be here for four years and i got to get through four years. No, no, no. These are the years that you're figuring, you're getting the tools to be able to learn Torah. And the Torah is the tool that our Creator gave us to be able to open up the greatness that is within inside, inside you and access it. Otherwise, it lays dormant. Otherwise, we're just, we're just basar vadam. So these are very important years. The ability to gain skills in learning Torah 
are the skills necessary to be successful in this world. To be successful spiritually, to be successful emotionally, and to be successful in anything we do. This is the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. That's why Rav Sheshes would climb up to the top of the ship and he would say, I learned for you. I learned Chumash for myself, Rav Sheshes would say. I learned Mishnah for myself. This is a very important idea. I want to share with you another idea. Rabbi Grazer mentioned that we're cousins. I have a grandfather who uh, was a Holocaust survivor. And uh, after the Holocaust, he came to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He was a rabbi for many, many decades in Pittsburgh. After the war, after liberation, he was in the DP camps. You know about the DP camps? That's where all the survivors were placed after the war. He worked for the American army after the war. So he was given an army uniform and a jeep. He met many great personalities. One of the great personalities he met after the war was Rabbi Isaac Halevi Herzog, the first chief rabbi of Palestine. Rabbi Isaac Halevi, you probably heard about uh, the President of the United States. As Mr. Herzog was a grandson of the first chief rabbi. Rabbi Isaac Halevi Herzog. He was a very noble personality. He was an aristocratic personality. He wore a shiny top hat. He had a cane. And he visited the DP camps in 1945. And he met my grandfather. My grandfather met him. He told my grandfather that he had just met with the Pope. Because, you know, after the war, you know, during the war, many, many uh, parents gave their children to monasteries, to churches, to Christian families, because there was no other way to save their children. And after the war was over, the parents wanted their children back. Basically, Rabbi Herzog had with him a list of 10,000 Jewish boys and girls who were being kept by Christian parents, either in monasteries or in other locations. And the, Rabbi Herzog met with the Pope and he asked the Pope to give the children back. And the Pope flatly refused. That's, that's the story that I heard. I always like to say over the story, Rabbi Beryl Wine, who's also a, a notable rabbi, he is a very interesting personality, he's a historian. He tells over the story that in 1951, Rabbi Herzog came to Chicago. And uh, the news came that Rabbi Herzog was coming to Chicago. You see, nowadays, you know, the chief rabbi gets around, so it's not such a big deal, okay, the chief rabbi is coming. But 1951, for the chief rabbi of uh, then Israel to come to America was a big deal. And all the yeshiva students in Chicago, there was one basic yeshiva, the Skoki yeshiva, they all came out to greet Rabbi Herzog. And he spoke in the Skoki Yeshiva. And you're sitting there, he's sitting there, 200 boys. You know, that's the whole uh, Midwest uh, Yeshiva students, about 200 boys. And Rabbi Herzog spoke for 45 minutes. He gave a pilpul share. You know, a pilpul share is like a very complex discussion on the Gemara. And all the uh, parents came and everybody came out to greet him. And at the end of this shear, Rabbi Herzog said, he wants to have a word with the yeshiva students. And he, uh, he tells the yeshiva students, I have here a list of 10,000 boys and girls, Jewish children, who are being held in monasteries, in churches, with Christian parents. And I asked the Pope, could it give us back our children? You're kidnapping our children. 
And the Pope flatly refused. He says, our religion says that once one of you convert, we can never give them back. And they slammed the door in Rabbi Herzog's face. And he left dejected. And he tells the young men, he says, there's nothing I could do for these 10,000 boys and girls. They're lost forever. And by the way, it's not just them. What about their children, their grandchildren? It could have been hundreds of thousands of Jews, if not more. Lost forever. Gone forever. Nothing I could do for them. And he breaks down on the lectern. He cries. He, he wept bitterly. And Rabbi Wine said he was a young boy. He was 11 years old. Rabbi Herzog lifts up his, his head and he roars like a lion. He says, there's nothing I could do for these children. But what are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? You could do something about it. What, are you, what kind of contribution are you going to make to the, to the Jewish people? And Rabbi Wine says these were from among the most moving moments in his life. So guys, I tell you, you know, you come to a Jewish high school and we, we take it for granted. Do you know what the likelihood that there is that a young man could learn Torah today after 2,000 years of Gullus? You know how unlikely that, that is? It's not st- statistically unlikely. It's not highly improbable. It's a miracle of outrageous proportions that there are still Jews around learning Torah. And if you were given that awesome opportunity, you have to ask yourself, okay, I understand. I'm doing it for myself. If I want to be what I can be, if I want to become what I could become, if I want to grow to be who I could grow to be, I need to figure out how to access these documents. I need to understand how to understand this information. I need to do it for myself, and I need to do it for the Jewish people. Every young man has to ask himself, whatever I'm going to do in life, what am I going to do for Klal Yisrael? How am I going to help the Jewish people? What kind of contribution am I going to make to Klal Yisrael? There are very few Torah observant Jews left in the world after 2,000 years of Golos. If you're one of them, if you've been given this privilege, that's a question we all have to ask ourselves. What are we going to do for the future of the Jewish people? So, literally, you are given the greatest opportunity in the entire universe. Hashem gave you the Torah. He gave you the opportunity to study the Torah. It's for you. It's for your benefit. It's not for your rabbi's benefit. It's not for your parents' benefit. It's for them too. But it's primarily for you. And it's for the Jewish people as well. And these are all things we have to stop sometimes and ask ourselves. Am I taking advantage of the opportunity? So I thank you very much for the opportunity to be here today. To see... uh, the wonderful Tamidim the Yeshiva and the Rabbeim and the Menahel. And I wish you all bracha v'hatzlacha. Have a wonderful day. And uh, Shem should shower you. Shefa bracha v'hatzlacha. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.